Welcome to the recording and indeed the podcast of Neffers Coaches Corner April 2021 edition. This month we were joined by UEFA Pro Licence holder Greg Broughton. Greg's had a superb career working in player development at clubs such as Wickham Wanderers, Luton Town and Norwich City, where he's held positions such as Academy Manager, Head of Academy Recruitment and he is now the Academy Director at Budaglimt in Norway. Um, if many of you will know, broke numerous records last season as they went on an absolute unbelievable run that led them to winning the Norwegian Premier League by an absolute country mile. And they did it with a lot of young players as well. So it was absolutely fabulous to hear about not only Greg's coaching journey, um, his thoughts on player development, uh, but also in terms of what is actually going on at Buda Glimpse as well. That's led them not only to get some great successes in terms of academy players into their first team, but also some of the some of the exporting of players that they've had out of what is a really rather remote club in the north part of Norway into some of the top clubs in Europe. It was a fabulous 90 minutes. I was joined, as always, by academy manager at Neffa, Spencer Fern, and we joined the conversation with Greg, just really just setting the scene in terms of what life is like working at Border Glimpse in the north of Norway. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you can subscribe and we look forward to you hopefully joining us on next month's Coach's Corner as well. Um, do you want to give us a bit of background on the, on the town and any challenges they've faced over the years? Yeah, well, I think the, the thing that you probably don't realise um, not if you're not from Norway is that the teams in the north of Norway weren't allowed to compete in the national league system until uh, the, the, the late 1960s, early 1970s. Uh, part of the reason for that was distance. It was just too far to travel. Um, but secondly, there was a kind of a snobbery against the people from the north in terms of what can they add to our competition now. They had a super league of their own in the south. Of <laughs> and But then in the 1970s, uh, Glimt were amongst the first of the North Norwegian clubs to be allowed in and became the first North Norwegian club a few years later to win the cup in 75. So because of that, hold a real place of cultural significance, represented the whole of the North of Norway in that competition. But then the, the, the club kind of bounced a little bit between the top two divisions over the years, uh, had some really good exports from the academy in terms of Alex Tetty, who ended up at my old club, still there at Norwich City now. Um, other players, uh, Stefan Johansson, etc., uh, had a great career at Celtic, Fulham, uh, West Brom, etc., and then hit uh, hard times financially um, around 2010, and they had to do a bit of a reset on the club. Uh, they created a strategic document called Boris Motta Our Way, um, and a lot of the strategy that was that was built into that document was was the backbone and the foundations of the success that we gained uh, in the last. I'll say the last two years, because the year before we finished second, which was still a huge achievement, and everybody thought it was a little bit of a one-off. So, yeah, that's a bit of a backstory for you. Yeah, no, great stuff. Absolutely. Just just, just a fabulous um, uh, a, a achievement, absolutely. Um, but, uh, you know, Greg, in terms of developing players, um, uh, you know, having spent quite a bit of time in Norway myself, it's an enormous uh, country. Um, and certainly for you guys, you know, up in up in the north, there's an unbelievable amount of travel involved to play. You know, other academies um, as well. Um, so, you know, what are some of the challenges that you um, have, have faced in this in this respect? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Like you said, the distances you can't even picture. We used to we used to moan at Norwich about spending yeah, Norwich, yeah. two hours to get to West Ham, which was our probably <laughs> our closest game down the M11. So, but I think the distances here are uncomparable to that the two nearest cities to us in terms of a city that's big enough to host another top series club would be Tromsø which is 10 hours to the north and Trondheim 12 hours to the south of here so but the other thing is just getting the players here for a game so so the way the academy system works is the national league starts at under 14 and in that league uh, you're playing not as the club although we are facilitating the game and running the game coaching the game selecting the players for the game we're actually playing as the county of Norland, which is the county that Budaglim sits in. So we have to represent that county and bring other players in to, to complement the academy players, which are players that we are already working with in the academy. We, we've identified them along with Kretz, the county system. 
but the logistics of getting them here by train, by boat, by aeroplane, in for a Friday night to train Friday, train Saturday, play Sunday, and then fly or go home, however they're going to get home, are huge. And then you've got going to games as well. So not one single one of our games in, in the national leagues you can get to by bus or coach. You have to travel by aeroplane to every single game. Some of those flights, if you're going to Mulder or Christiansand in the south or one of those, it's, it's often two flights. You're flying into Oslo and then changing and going out somewhere else. So you can understand how in the last 12 months that league system has been crippled, obviously, because the one thing that nobody's easing up on is air travel, correctly so. But that's been a, a big barrier for us. So, so you've got those two things. And I think the third challenge uh, from a geographic point of view is if you just want to play a friendly game in a weekend, and again, a little bit like Norwich, we used to complain because if Tottenham wanted to play a training game, they'd phone up West Ham or Arsenal or whoever and just go and play. Whereas here, you just can't do that. So you have to play a lot of internal games. You might have to play local opposition, but at a much older age group. So yeah, that's, I hope that gives you a little bit of an idea and a picture of what's happening. And, and just 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 a quick note for, for, for all of the sort of British folk uh, tuning in tonight as well. When you do travel by car, the speed limit, I never got my head around the speed limits. It feels like you're going backwards, isn't it? The speed limits are incredibly low on the roads. Yeah. I drove, I drove my car back to the UK uh, last summer and you're going from Norwegian roads and then all of a sudden you're on the Autobahn in Germany and you're like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, huge difference. So, so obviously, Greg, you've uh, been in Norway for three years now. Mm. Uh, you had a, a really successful career. You know, your, your latest club before going to Norway is Norwich City, of course, and fantastic accolades and rightly so about developing young players. What would you say the real differences between coaching in England in the academy system and in Norway? Um, a couple of things. I think the, the big one is that there is no foundation phase in Norway. In fact, it, it, you're not allowed to bring players. You're not allowed to have select programmes before the age of 12 in Norway. Um, and even that was quite controversial when that was introduced maybe five, six, seven years ago. So you have to respect that um, and you have to accept that there are some shortfalls from that. But I think also there's some huge pluses from that, having now worked in both of those systems. I think the, the, the work-life balance as well is very, very different. Um, when I first came here, I was looking at the calendar, the year plan, and there was quite a few blank weekends. And I, was, I, I couldn't understand why in a football program there was so much time at weekends. And a couple of coaches kind of looked at me and raised an eyebrow and said, when are people going to go to their cabins? <laughs> when are they going to go to their cabins but you have to get your head around this 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 fact that weekends are very very protective family life is protected people want to spend time together at weekends they want to go skiing they want to go to the beach they want to do these fantastic things that you can do in the nature here in norway so you have to be respectful for that and we kind of have a compromise now where with the younger age groups we'll try and do two weekend activities a month and with the older age groups we'll certainly give them one weekend off a month to go to the cabin Fantastic. Greg, just to, again, just to just to sort of amplify the, the, the point, um, they're not messing about on the weekends, are they, when they mean family time? If you've run out of milk, you know, the only place you go in is a petrol station at, at best. Everything's closed, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a lot of the rest of Europe. It's that it's that respect for what a Sunday looks like. Um, it's that respect that you have to have some off time in your week. You're not expected to send emails and do that kind of stuff on Sundays. Uh, the fact that go for tour is a, is a national phrase in terms of going on a trip, which might be a, a hike, a ski, a walk, whatever that is, um, that's really, really respected here. And, and obviously you have to fit into that because that, that's the way that people do that here. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when we came across in 2019, Ryan, um, to Oslo, to the uh, Coaches Conference, which fantastic experience. When we were speaking to a few uh, colleagues from Norway, you know, the Christmas period. I remember you saying to me, don't bother at Christmas because that's it. It's shut down. It's family time, and uh, which I think is wonderful. I think we have a lot to learn, most certainly. But in terms of like you know, the the English game, uh, Greg. So I mean, you know, you hear stories of uh, clubs recruiting players at five, six years of age, and you know, obviously worked in Norwich City or back now in the Premier League, which is great. Um, you know, would you say that's the big difference then, not having the foundation phase in Norway, or is there any other differences that you you've come across? Yeah, that would be a difference. I think the fact that your second team are playing, or, or call it what you want, your under-23s, your reserves, your, that, that team is playing in senior football in Norway. So ours is in the third division of the Norwegian system. So your players are playing senior opposition early. Yeah. Um, I think also it's a very, very flat hierarchy within the coaching structure. So um, 
it's, it's uh, basically we have a chief executive at the club. We have a management team, which we report into the chief executive. And then that's pretty much it. There is, there is no, there's no uh, us and them. It's a very, very flat hierarchy and the players are, are expecting to be level. So how you talk to a player, it, it, it's, um, yeah, it's very, very important that you're treating them as an equal. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And something that's clearly working with the success, particularly in the last two years for the club. And uh, Greg, there's, there's lots of point actually coming out of this. In terms of the CRET system that you that you referred to as well, in terms of like what would be the sort of county team mm. here, am I right in thinking that sort of compared to the English game, you know, th there's a lot more power there. Certainly in England now, boys at academies, they don't play for their school. They very rarely play for their county system. Is that obviously you're a bit isolated um, where, where you are, but you know, in some of the more populous areas, does the Cretz team have a bit more weight than what they do in England? Yeah, you, you, you work very, very closely with the county association. In fact, I was speaking to the kind of head of player recruitment there this evening. But I think the, the, the difference between the two is if you think about the county of Norland that we sit pretty much in the middle of, it's six hours north and six hours south to either end. That's part of our recruitment area. Yeah. But our recruitment area is the north of Norway. Now, yeah. if I go as far as Chukernes, which is right up, because when you think of Norway, you think of a long, thin country, but you forget the bit that goes around the corner and joins on Russia at the top. Yeah. Yeah. Chukernes, which is the, the, the town in the, in the top corner. If you're trying to bring a player from Chukernes to Buda, I don't know, I couldn't even imagine what that drive would be like. At least 20 hours in a car. At least 20 hours. So you have to give those players an opportunity you, because to bring them into your academy programme via a full-time schools programme isn't really the Norwegian way of doing things at 13 mm. or 14 as you might do with a Cat 1 Academy in the UK. Mm. So you have to give them a chance to come in and be part of your club. You've identified them. You say, this is a player we want to work with in, the, in these outlying areas. And then you're giving them a chance to come in and and, and see the level and, and, and experience national football. And do you get kind of first dibs on that? Um, we know within within your area, or you know, could could one of the big teams from Oslo, or you know, one of the West Coast teams, um, uh, lay claim to that player? Or it, within that system, do you do you get first dibs? Uh, up to fourteen, you've got protected areas. Wow. So in the north of Norway, Norland is our protected county. Finnmark is Tromsø's. That's above us, and then Finn. Uh, sorry, and then yeah, and then at sixteen, then the north of Norway becomes a little bit more open. So us and Tromsø would occasionally go to head to head with a player. We wouldn't really go for a player for Tromsø, and they probably wouldn't come for a player from our city, from Buda. But if there's a player from Finnmark, for example, then right in the north of Norway, then then that would be an open discussion. Um, the, the the bigger clubs in Norway, Rosenborg, Molde, might. Sometimes kind of dip their toe in the water up here, but uh, uh, yeah, we, we try and shoot them out of town quite quickly. Well, yeah, the, the Vikings are used to raiding, aren't they? So I hope that's still in the blood. I hope that's still, I hope there's still a little bit of that left. Um, Greg, building connections with players, as we know, you know, regardless of where you're, you're, you're working from, is extremely um, in, in, important. As you've touched on, you've got some particular challenges in terms of where, where, where you're, you're your base, but generally. How do you go about making these connections with players? I think at first it's the most important thing you can do at any level of coaching. It's your, it's your rapport with a player that will make or break that relationship. Mm. Um, and I think what you have to have in your system is people who will keep that dialogue going, even when there's changes at the top. If I think about the situation um, at Norwich City, for example, someone like Todd Campwell, we, there was somebody at, at Norwich City called Colin Watts who'd been there for many, many years, done a fantastic job from a player recruitment point of view. And really it was his dialogue and rapport with Todd Campwell, along with one or two of the coaches who'd been there for many, many years, like Greg Crane, who, were, who was able to keep Todd there and going when he was having, he had some really, really tough times of 13, 14, uh, before I joined the club. And then again at 17, 18, where People just didn't fancy that he was going to eventually make that step, step up. So it was their connection, their, their, uh, their dialogue, their rapport with that player that really, really helped him survive. And obviously, he has to take the most credit as the player, as always. Um, but I think, um, I, I know when we talked beforehand, um, it might be worth me showing a, a short uh, clip yeah. that I put together. I'm doing my technical director's license with the FA in England at the moment. And we were asked to present something in the last module on 
what we see as the biggest change in the future game. This was obviously before yesterday's announcement, otherwise one or two people might <laughs> a different topic. But my, my topic was on, on, on exactly this. It was on terms of uh, creating psychological safety. Um, you know, if, if I was a player coming into to Buddha Glimt, um, you know, how would you make me feel safe in that environment? Yeah, I think one thing just listening back to that now is I would disagree with that with Simon Sinek at the end is because I have considered laying off my children. Haven't <laughs> <laughs> we all? Haven't we all? <laughs> we all yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think um, you have to give them a voice. You have to let them be part of decision-making process and you have to just have a learning environment. Um, you can't have coaches who are on the touchline barking orders and shouting down people in the changing rooms. And I, I don't think you have that much in any academy football. So... Um, yeah, but I think within the within the first team environment, it's very very difficult. And I think it's as Bjorn said there, it's uh, you've got to have complete focus on performance. If you, yes. if you were able to hear any of Chettle uh, Knudsen, our head coach, uh, any of his post match interviews last year, he would always talk about performance. Win or lose, he'd always talk about performance. I think that's the biggest shift. Yeah, excellent. Um, I mean, we want to develop, you know, people and players, you know, people before players. You know, how, how do you go about developing them holistically uh, at Buddha Glimt, you know, as well as the football? What else do you do within your academy system? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, we have, um, we have a school programme here within our stadium. So in the stand to my right, as I'm looking now, we have a school that starts at the age of 14. So we have three-year groups in the Ungdom School, as it is here. So the, the, the um, I guess it would be the middle school or middle-upper school in England. And then three-year groups also in the upper school, so from 16 to 19. So we, we were able to work with them very, very closely. We select the players who go into the school. It's a sports school. There is only one class per year group, so 30 pupils. And it's a mixture of boys footballers from our club, female footballers from Grand, which is the ladies' club here in the city, yeah. players, and then one or two individual sportsmen. So um, our, our work with our players academically in that environment is absolutely massive. Um, I think, secondly, the club uh, wears the Action Now uh, logo on the back of the shirt, which is part of the support for uh, UNICEF's goals for sustainability. So we sit down with each of our age groups um, in pre-season. In terms of this bigger piece of work on purpose and value, we ask each of our age groups to choose one of the goals, one of the sustainability goals to focus on in that particular year so that they have a buy-in and a focus on something more than just I'm a footballer. But what, are you, yeah. what are you really? What, what's important to you in life? So that, that's that's really really important. Um, we have a mentor program um, that underpins all of that. Um, we have our, our two lead phase coaches um, within the academy, Dan Levers, uh, another Englishman within the system, and Olaf Verley, um, a, a coach from Trondheim, uh, who used to be a social worker. Those two have put together a really really good and uh, I think really robust mental program that they've been working with Bjorn Mansbeck and developing. It's got 11 different mental uh, areas that we work in. They're built into the technical and tactical syllabus, so they're periodized as well. Uh, yeah. We start with numbers one to five. Number one being the underriding one, you've got to enjoy football. It's got to be fun. It's got to be your passion. Um, so they, we start with those in the grassroots section from six to 12, and then obviously start to layer them on as they go through the academy. And then I think the last part of it is we, we've just formed a, a working relationship with the Ubuntu Academy in South Africa, um, who are a very, very values, purpose-driven uh, organization. Yeah. The number one aim of their academy is not to develop footballers, but to develop leaders for South African society. So that's a very, very new partnership, but hopefully that will add to the holistic development of, of both parties as well. Uh, fantastic. You mentioned uh, values as well there, Greg. I mean, do, do the club have like some core values that, that run through the heart of it? Yeah, again, on the back of our shirt, uh, it's not on the wall behind me, unfortunately, but it is the words Gielt. Uh, and each of the letters of Gielt represent a different one of the club values. So G is for glad, uh, Norwegian for happy, so to be yeah. happy and passionate. Uh, I is for includere, uh, inclusive. You're always going to include people, uh, which again, within a social de democratic society like Norway, is vital. Uh, the A is for ambitious, speaks for itself. Self. The L is for loyal. Uh, again, speaks for itself. And I think the, the last one's probably the one that's probably most uh, aligned with my own core values because T is a Norwegian word meaning throbody, uh, true to your word. Uh, and I think you, you have to be true to your word. If you speak to parents or players or agents 
at any level. It doesn't matter whether it's first team or under 13s, which is our youngest age group here. You have to be true to your word. Fantastic. Thank you. Brilliant. Brilliant. Excellent. Um, so we've touched on we've touched on lots of things in terms of you know the sort of the things that have really sort of driven the sort of culture and, and what's happened there. But in terms of the actual sort of down practical processes, um, you know, what 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 is the process for for, de- for developing your coaches within within your academy? What 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 are they? It would be very very similar to the English academy system. Um, our development program for our staff but it's one that's really, really important to it. In fact, when I came to meet with the club for the first time, uh, the chief executive asked me that. He said, well, what's your plan? Tell me your plan of how you can develop players and develop coaches. So I think we have a a, a coach developer here, a really, really good coach developer, Stig Johansson, a former footballer played for Southampton, uh, went on to have huge success um, in Sweden, won the league in Sweden, came back here to Bruder Glimpse, who's a club legend. Uh, so he drives the, the, the club, the, the coach development program. We have a, what well, I guess the equivalent in English would be a coach competency framework okay. uh, where um, we, we work on and, and in, in that coach competency framework, we dig into each of those five core values. I mentioned it a little bit. So for Guy, for Glad, we would have, what's that look like? If you're a Buddha glimped coach, what does that mm. look like? How do you come into work with the energy and passion you need to have to inspire footballers and so on all the way around that? The, the parameters so that's, that's our um that's our kind of that's our coach development program and and, and where, so, sorry Spencer, where, where are you drawing most of your coaches in from uh, greg have you have you imported them or are they local guys or we've got a nice, really nice mixture in the academy at the moment so i think we've got 12 full-time coaches within the academy program um, and the club made a really really big step last year that we put six of those coaches on full-time lifelong contracts so they're not always looking contract to contract so i think it's nice if you can have some people who are on fixed term contracts like myself because my time will come at the club they'll want a fresh voice fresh energy to come in and lead that but also i think you've also got to have coaches from the local community who know they can be safe here we talked about creating that safe environment Um, we have a really nice mixture of ex-players but also coaches who come through an academic background as well so we're probably 50-50 on those two as well. Uh, in terms of where they come from, uh, we have two other English coaches uh, within the academy. Uh, one within the academy, actually, one within the grassroots section. So Dan Levers uh, leads our 16s to 19s section. Dan's been academy manager at Barnet and head of coaching and lots of other jobs at Notts County as well. And also we have um, within the academy a guy called Tom Dent, who left the academy now to become a first team manager at Stjordals Blink in the Overs League. And so in terms of developing coaches, uh, there's another one there. And then within our grassroots section, Paul Gray joined us from Preston, where he was the lead foundation phase coach to really lead the six to 12s within the club. So it sits outside the academy within our grassroots section. We have one Brazilian coach, oh, wow. uh, next player, Tiago Martins. Uh, our lead, uh, our second team coach, Jens Carlsen, is from Sweden. He was the second team coach at Helsingborg. And then the rest of the coaches are, are Norwegian within the academy. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and just one final question on, on this. Um, uh, again, you know, picking up from the time I had in, in, in Norway, one thing I think we're really, really poor at here in the UK is really valuing, in terms of a monetary value, good young coaches. Um, you know, how does that work you know, at, at your club? You know, you're talking about there, about people being on permanent contracts, full, full-time contracts. Norway is not a, not a, not a cheap uh, place to live. Um, you know how how well how well are these guys looked after compared to what we're paying academy coaches in Cat Two, Cat Three clubs? Yeah, I, I've been out of the English system for a few years now, so I'm not sure what a coach would be paid in those in those levels. And I know one of the big pieces of work we did at Norwich was to try and get all of the coaches, all of the full time coaches, earning at least thirty thousand a year. So that was kind of one of the things we did myself and Phil Church, who's the head of coach education for the FA now and delivers the pro license and A license, one of the pieces of work that he and I did at Norwich. But here in, here in, um, in Norway, mm-hmm. I can't speak on behalf of other clubs, but here at Buda Glimt, all of our coaches are on between 450,000 and 500,000 krona. Those, yeah. those numbers aren't secret. Firstly, in Norway, you can see what anyone's got paid by just looking That's at That's right, yeah. But secondly, we, we, when we advertise jobs, we're quite public with what we pay people. So they, they would be on that scale depending upon A, their experience, but B, also their qualifications as well. Yeah. 
So it's yeah. important that that, uh, that gives them a good lifestyle here in Norway because Norway is not a cheap country to live in. No, but as as you touched on, you know, if, if they've got to they've got to feel happy themselves, haven't they? They've got to know that they've been able can afford to live um, in order to be happy to come to work. Um, brilliant, Spencer. Yeah, I'm just touching on that. I think in the English game as well. That's why I've got a lot of you know, young coaches, which is really good. But um, you know, I had a stint at Sheffield Wednesday, the club I support for four years, and uh, it was pretty much minimum wage. So you end up getting coaches who do it for the love, which is great. Um, but if you know the people in the twenties who've you know maybe got the mortgage, the first mortgage, the first house, it become quite difficult, uh, you know, to stay in the profession. Uh, so I think it's great what you're doing there, and what you did at Norwich City as well, because uh, thirty thousand pound a year is quite high. Uh, compared to another cat one, I think Norwich aren't they? A lot of cat two, cat threes are nowhere near that. Um, so that's great. Just in terms of um, coaching behaviours, you mentioned a little earlier, Greg, about you know we don't want the coaches that are, are shouting instructions from the touchline. Do you you work on certain behaviours that you expect from coaches when they're representing your club? Yeah, I mean, what you don't want to do is create a, a group of robotic coaches. The coaches have to bring their own personality. Yeah, you have to have a framework that you say this is the framework we'd like you to work in. And then it's part of our role with the coach developer for him to give them feedback on that. Yeah. So if I talk about two of our coaches at the top end of the academy from an age point of view, you have someone like Jan-Erik Björk, who's done every job here at the club. He's been first team manager. He's been captain of the club for many, many years. He's run the second team here at the club for many, many years. And I, I asked him to do a role two years ago of mentoring now the younger coaches coming through. So he yeah. works with the second team, but mentors the young coach leading that, which wasn't right. Who I said now has left and managed Stordals Bink in the Oberliga, um, and is now uh, Jens. And I think with Jan Eric, he's a very, very laid-back, thoughtful. Won't give a lot of instruction from the touchline. He'll watch, he'll observe, he'll step up and give feedback when needed to. But that's that's his personality. Whereas someone yeah. like Tiago, who takes our second team, you can see his Brazilian passion kind of coming out and bubbling yeah. over on the touchline. And you wouldn't want to take that out of him as well but it's trying to say to him what's the right time and place to do that to have the maximum effect. Because yeah. Janarek knows that. He's done that for many, many years, whereas Thiago's quite young on his coaching journey. Okay, good stuff. Well, Ryan, I think that takes us very nicely into uh, our break, doesn't it? So... Uh... It does. It does. So um, we're just going to have a five minute break. Um, but as always on the coach's corner, we're not going to let you have uh, all of that time off. So we've asked Greg to come up with a question uh, that we want you guys to not only ponder, but I want you to put your answers in the chat box during the break, please. And the question is, you know, do you have any barriers that would stop you working overseas so what would any barriers in your life be to for stopping you taking an opportunity overseas so have a think about those and pop your answers in the chat box whilst we have a quick refreshment break it's about quarter past now and we'll be back on just before 20 past so we'll see you for the last 40 minutes or so very very shortly hopefully everybody's had a uh, chance to have a quick uh, drink and refreshment break great stuff uh, right let's see what some of those answers were then so the questions were do they do what are the barriers that would stop you from working overseas so we've got a couple of answers here greg um the first one is the weather so i've got to ask you you know how much of the how much has the weather impacted your life and your ability to work the weather, the weather is pretty grim up here in the north, in the, uh, in the especially in the winter time. But when you see the sun break through like it has done this weekend, it makes it all worthwhile. Oh, good stuff, good stuff. Um, uh, there's a couple of uh, comments um, uh, about about family, but you know, I, you know, the, the flight connections back to the UK are pretty good, aren't they? How, I mean, how often have you been able to get back over and see family? Yeah, well, before March last year, it was frequently, but the last. The last year, we've had one very fleeting visit in, in August last year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's just have a quick one. A few, um, uh, a few comments uh, around family again, and a few comments around um, you know the sort of perception of of, of cost um, in in places say such as such as Norway. But again, I think like you know we made the point earlier. Not only do um, sort of employers try and be competitive and, and pay, but I think it's worth noting as well the sort of system there for all employees is extremely favourable, isn't it? You know, they have a really sort of strong work laws, don't they? 
Absolutely. Um, okay, good stuff. Uh, let's try and um, move on. And in the second part, we're going to bring as many of you guys into the conversation as possible. And we're going to start off um, with Ashley. Um, here we go. Ashley, if you can just unmute yourself. Good evening, Greg. Hi, Ash. How are you? Good Hi, Ash. To yourself. Good. Hi, Spencer. Ryan. All right. Uh, just a quick one from me. Um, how do you go about measuring developments in your players? Measuring development. Measuring the development in your players, yeah. Yeah, measuring development as an exact science is very, very tough. Um, when I think back to Norwich and the resources we had there, we had uh, we had some fantastic data guys. One of them, uh, Jason, now works quite high up in the analysis department at the FA. Um, and he would be creating spider charts with data for all of the young players within the academy. So, for example, we would have Max Aaron's data from 16, 17, 18, and at that stage be comparing it to the right backs within the first team system. So you'd have some data points to do that on. Um, I think, ultimately, you can only judge development when young players get the opportunity because you never know until they go into that first team environment. You don't know which ones are going to sink or swim. You can have a good guess. You can have a good idea. I've been surprised so many times with players who you think they've got no chance. They're getting an almost an opportunity by default and they absolutely fly, but also players that you put your house on doing brilliantly. And for whatever reason, they just can't make that step. Definitely just on that. I think, I think the no fans has helped a lot of young players. I think in this period, um, I think they've been given more chance of not at the added pressure. I think yeah. that's something you'd agree with Greg. Yeah, definitely. But I think if I use a if I use a very good example from from here at Buddha Glimt, um, I, and I don't think this is telling any trade secrets. I think this is quite off uh, open that, that um, Jens Peter Hauger had a really a really tough loan experience in two thousand and eighteen. Uh, went away to a club in the second tier of English of Norwegian football. Struggled to get game time. And most people would look at that loan and say, well, that's a failed loan experience. And even when he came back here in 2019, was making sub-appearances and making an impact. But I don't think there was a great belief in him from the coaching team to the extent that in, in the first transfer window last year in 2020, we accepted a bid of around a million euros from Circle Bruges, part of the Monaco group, for him to go there. And everyone was delighted with that. Um, but all of a sudden, something clicked with him. The coaches believed in him. His preseason went really, really well. And if it wasn't for COVID, he would have gone and signed for Circle Bruges. But the travel wasn't able to happen. He wasn't able to go and do a medical. He stayed here, and then the rest is history. He's now a Milan player playing at the top end of uh, Serie A. Fantastic. Did that answer your question, Ashley, or did you have any other points? No, it's brilliant. It's uh, Obviously, again, it's just about that first opportunity and can they grasp it. Thanks, Ash. Cheers. Okay, I think our next question, Ryan, we have uh, Ben, don't we? Yeah, let me uh, let me get Ben on. Hi, Ben. Evening, all. Evening, hey, Ben. ben. Hi, oh, uh, yeah, we're good. Have you enjoyed the webinar so far, Ben? Fantastic. Good, good as always. Um, different approach tonight. It's good to hear, again, people working, all British coaches working, Working abroad, something I think we're all quite interested in, aren't we? Yeah. Do you yeah, fancy Norway, uh, Ben? Too cold to me, Spencer. Too <laughs> cold. <laughs> oh, you know me, I'm heavily criticised for working abroad in, in warm countries in sunglasses. So I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure Norway. Would, uh, I'm not sure the weather there would suit me. It's 16 degrees. Um, Greg was saying was uh, say, the yeah, last yeah. day. So I could live with that. I could live with that. Okay, um, then. On, on the, um, so, so parents play an important part in, in their own child's development. So what strategies do you use to engage with them? Three things, Ben. First of all, you've got to have very, very clear guidelines from the outset. So you've got to say, this is what's acceptable, and this isn't what's acceptable. And you've got to make sure that, that your, your framework covers most eventualities, which once you've been experienced and done that and you've got experienced people on your team, they can, you can pretty much cover most eventualities. And you've got to get some buy-in from the parents in terms of creating that as well. Secondly, then you've got to communicate that very, very clearly. So we have a parents focus group here at the club. One parent represents each age group. They come in, 
probably four times a year and sit down with us and give us feedback. We give them feedback and we kind of throw around any big issues that have come up and hopefully try and deal with them in that, in that environment. It doesn't have to wait for that moment. We can grab something in the moment. In, in, uh, we can grab anything when it happens, but that allows you to kind of have that communication uh, in a structured way as well. But I think the final thing is don't waste too much energy on it. Um, if I think of some of the parents uh, I've worked with in the past, so if I if I use two examples of players that I've worked with at young age groups, and I think their parents would be described as active, or could be described as active in their development process. <laughs> they had an opinion, and they had very very high standards of what they wanted for their son, but they never stepped over the mark in terms of that. So in terms of uh, Ben Chilwell, I was lucky enough to work with at Rushton and Diamonds uh, in his foundation phase. From I've, I've probably worked with Ben from the age of seven till 11. Uh, and his dad, Wayne, um, a New Zealander, quite outspoken, would tell you what he'd expect for Ben. But he and I had a really good working relationship where he would challenge me, but I would also challenge him as a parent within, within what I think was an acceptable framework. And also, if, if I then go to Luton and then on to Norwich, because he followed me on my journey, was Jamal Lewis, who's now at Newcastle. So again, Jamal Lewis's uh, father, Frankie, would often challenge you. Uh, but again, I don't think he ever overstepped the mark. But I, I think to, to go back to your point, don't waste energy. If there's parents who are continuously chasing things that you don't think are acceptable or outside the framework, it's probably better to say your son's journey might be easier somewhere elsewhere, irrelevant of that, of your son, of that, your thoughts on on that player's potential then unfortunately if you're wasting so much energy to try and keep one parent happy the rest of the system will fall down around you yeah just just picking up ryan and and, and back on um on, on what you said around the the communication with the parents i really like what you mentioned there with you have a parent a designated parent come and communicate other parents feelings or their own feelings on on the development of their boys is that something You've implemented at Birda, or is it something you've had in the past at Norwich? Is it, or is it possible to do that within the uh, UK academy system? Yeah, we had it at Norwich. We had um, we had an audit come in, and from the psychology department at the University of East Anglia, they came in and did an audit on the academy on the kind of the psychological safety that players were feeling, and we had feedback that we should have more voice from from both the parents and the players group. So that was something we created. At Norwich and it's something I brought with me here then uh, to Buda Glimpse I kind of learned from that journey the one thing you have to be careful of is sometimes you get a parent in that forum and you listen to them and you're thinking well is that you're talking on behalf of the parents on behalf of your son so you have to challenge that sometimes you say if you want a meeting to discuss your son I'm happy to do that but this isn't the right forum forum for that discussion right now is it we did the, we've got together as parents and the number seven should take all the penalties and free kicks yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Just, yeah, Ben, it's right. Yeah. yeah, just a final one. Obviously, I've, I've coached a few Norwegians, Norwegian boys myself, and, and I understand the cultural differences are, are quite big here. So I imagine that the, the challenges you face with the parents over there are potentially different to the ones here. But what's the main difference in the challenges that they present to you? I think the, big, the biggest difference is in the UK, becoming a professional footballer, even at the second tier, maybe even the third tier, can be a life-changing experience in terms of finances, not just for the player, but for the whole family. Whereas in Norway, that isn't the case. Players in the elite series wouldn't be earning a great deal more money than a doctor or anyone else who's had a good education and has a, has a good uh, job within the system. So that, that enormous, absolutely driving desire from parents for their, to parents, for their son to make it isn't really here in Norway. You have ambitious parents, of course you do. Um, but ultimately, that that kind of that, that focus on stardom and celebrity that sometimes exists in the UK to the inherent uh, or to the de detriment of, of development um, doesn't really exist here in Norway. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I've, that's what I've gathered from working with a few, and they seem to prioritise education a lot more than you. You get the parents in this country. That's great. Great. Thank you for that, Greg. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks, um, th thanks, thanks Ben. Um, I'm going to go next to a question that we've had in the Q&A box, Greg, um, from Scott. Um, good evening, Scott. Uh, Scott asks, 
in terms of giving young players themselves a voice, how does it differentiate across the academy? Do they get a say on their individual development or does it extend to the process that you have um, in place to make them uh, more player player centered? So, yeah, you know, we've, I think we've spoke about the coaches, we've spoke about the, 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 the parents, what about the players? Yeah. Yeah, I think we, we are part of the way of where I think we need to be. So the players certainly have a voice in their individual development. Um, but I think that's the case in, in the English academy system as well. I wouldn't see a huge difference here to there. The players come in in pre-season and we sit down and for each age group sit and agree their pre-agreed standards. What happens if you're late for training? What happens if you don't train the day before a game? What happens if you get into trouble at school? So we kind of have those agreements in place before the season starts with players. I'm sorry, Greg. What what do they look like? What what are the implications for a player at your club if they if they break one of those rules? It's different in each age group. It's different in each age group. But I think mm. it's pretty widely accepted that if there's a problem at school, it will stop them coming in, being involved in the football environment in that particular case. Um, the other bits are a little bit more. Some of them have chosen a more jokey one where they roll a dice and take the forfeit from the oh, dice. Oh, yeah, 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 like that. Just no, not acceptable. You don't train the next day. So I think that's where the player is no good as a coach is saying, well, this is what happens. The players have to decide that and then we have to, we have to make them uh, maintain what, what the standards they've set. I think where we need to be better is probably have a group of players within the group that then uphold those rules within the because they're still pretty much the coach and then has to enforce them. Fantastic. Excellent. Um, Greg, in, in terms of, obviously, you know, you're across in Norway now, and for, for any coaches aspiring to really work abroad, I mean, what would you suggest to them? What's the best route of finding out about opportunities? Well, I think there's coaching associations. So you mentioned the, the fantastic coaching association that Teddy runs here in Norway. Yeah. So by subscribing... Uh, to, mm -hmm. to their coaching association and maybe following them on social media, you'll get an idea of coaching opportunities that come up abroad. Uh, by by uh, making connections, be that again on social media or hopefully when travel opens up, the opportunity to meet and go and visit people, uh, that's another way of getting into that as well. Um, but I think also if you're a young coach and you're making your first steps in coaching, maybe after coming out of school or at university, can you do a placement at a club? Can you talk to a club and say, look, if you can help me with board and lodging for the year, I'm not, I'm not a charity case. I'm not going to come in and do this for free. I'm completely free. Mm. If you can help me with board and lodging, then will you give me, I will give you my time and I'll do as many hours on the grass as you need from me in, in terms of getting that foot in the door. Um, and I think it's often that uh, it's a lack of sometimes a desire to, to have that first that 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 um sacrifice you need to make for that first step into coaching so yeah. i think my, my you mentioned Spence, my, my first role in coaching in the professional game I, i'd done five or six years of grassroots coaching which was brilliant loads of hours on the grass um fantastic all the way through from under eights uh, all the way through to under 16s but then i got an opportunity at wick and wanderers where i was pretty much being paid my petrol money and it was an hour drive there or an hour and a half probably in rush hour and an hour drive back to go and coach an under eight uh, development group down at Bisham Abbey. Um, but you have to do that. It was brilliant. And I learned so much from that. And I wouldn't have been able to get my first time, first full-time job at Russian and Diamonds had I not done that job. And even my first full-time job at Russian and Diamonds within, was within the football in the community program, which wasn't yeah. really where I wanted to be. I wanted to be coaching the, the players within a, a development program. But to get that first opportunity, that was it. Grab it. Fantastic. Great club. Fantastic people all around it. So you have to be prepared to take that opportunity, whether that's abroad or at home. Yeah, good stuff. And I think, you know, speaking of the UK, you know, most clubs have a, a community arm. They have a foundation, yeah. which I know Rotherham, where I'm from, the Rotherham United Foundation, does some brilliant work with, with young kids and uh, putting on the, the half-term camps and so on and an opportunity to you know, cut your teeth doing that. So in, um, in the UK as well, Greg, I'm sure you're aware, it's very difficult sometimes to get on your, your A for B or your, your A for A licence. Your A licence, you have to be working uh, within the club environment, 11 v 11. Uh, and as well as, you know, going out and getting the experience and building the knowledge on the grass, are there any courses that you'd recommend uh, aside of the, the federation courses that you've found worthwhile maybe over the years? Well, I think it's just being prepared to go and sometimes do those federation courses outside your country, if you can do that. 
I went to do my A license. I've done all of my qualifications with the English FA except my A license. So I went, I, I was, the A license at that stage was really difficult to get on with. There was one course a year, very, very wow. limited number of places. You had to be pretty much working first team or reserves to get on it or an ex-player. I couldn't. I was working full-time at Luton. I'd been working the game full-time for 10 years and I couldn't get on it. So Luton had a connection with the Northern Ireland FA. Uh, some of the players, Steve Robinson and some of the players at the time were, were playing for Ireland and a group of us went over and did our A licence over there and it was brilliant. I, I had a great yeah. time about that. I, I'll never forget the first message they gave you when you sat down because the other thing about the English FA was they had about a 15% pass rate at that time. <laughs> it wasn't just even getting on the course, it was then getting the qualification. Whereas the first thing they said to you at the Irish FA is, we're here to help you get through this course. Wow. If not, we're failing, we're failing in our job in terms of developing you as coaches. So our job is to get you through this course. So I had brilliant. I came back to the English FA then to do my pro license. But yeah, but yeah be prepared to go abroad and do that if you can do. Yeah, and I can, I can vouch for that as well. I mean, I've um, spent time in Amsterdam with the Cruyff Institute and, and learned out there. Uh, and a fellow called Raymond Verheyen as well. Uh, been to Austria and so on. And uh, the different people that you meet, the different experiences, it all adds to your armour as a coach. Uh, most definitely. Yeah. That was great. Um, Greg, you've obviously had some success where where you are um, uh, uh, with Buda, but how do you see the development of Norwegian players um, generally? Obviously, Harling's getting a, a lot of attention at, at the moment. Um, but, you know, as a nation, it's been a long time since the country has qualified for a major tournament. You know, I'm looking back into the 90s, they had an unbelievable side, really competitive. Um, how do, do you see what you're doing um, as a bit of a sort of outlier to what's going on in the rest of the country? Or are we going to see another wave of good enough Norwegian talent that's going to get them to a major finals? Yeah, I think, I think you are about to see that wave happen. Although the last international window in terms of results maybe wasn't as high as they expected that to be. Mm. They're on the verge of something great. So there's been some really good work going on in the country for the last 10 years. Fantastic. The guy who I followed into his footsteps here at Buda Glimt, Ivan Everson left Buda Glimt to go and drive the academy program, excuse me, with a guy called Espen Olofsson at Norwegian Top Football. And they did a brilliant program in terms of putting the academy framework in place and almost like a classification audit system like ECPP in the UK yeah. to really drive the standards. And what you've got now, not just because of that, but because of just a gen sometimes there is a generational thing as well. But you've probably got four to five Norwegian players now that would get into most top five European league teams. Yeah. Um, and that's what you need when you're, if you look at the, smaller countries within the UK. So if you look at when Scotland or Northern Ireland or Wales have had success, you've got that, that spine of players, Ramsey, Bale, etc. in Wales' recent success. And you've got that same spine now with Norway. So I really think this, this generation will click. Yeah, because obviously it has been a while, hasn't it? And, um, you know, for those young players coming through, I mean, you know, the Harlands and the Odegaards, I mean, they're absolutely critical, aren't they, for, 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 for I guess, everybody else to see that, look, we can go on and, and produce decent players to, to play at the top of European or world football. Yeah, definitely. I think you've, um, I think they have to have somebody to look, look up to. Uh, those two names especially have been the breakthrough names now. But we had a young player leave our club, uh, Andreas Schelderuk, who's gone to Norseland now, 16 years old, born 2004, absolutely tearing up the, Nor uh, sorry, the Danish Premier League. So uh, he will be, I think, very, very quickly into the Norwegian national setup. Um, and, and you could extend that list down. You obviously, you've got Berg at Sheffield United. Yeah. A long list of players, Josh King, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, players playing in the Bundesliga, players playing in Serie A. So, yeah. I think Norseland does well very much like uh, Buddha Glimt in terms of developing uh, young players. I think their average age is something like 20 or 21 uh, but it was about 23 and a half, you know, doing my research earlier. And um, <clears throat> the squad, excuse me, the squad last year, there's probably eight, eight to nine academy players in and around the squad uh, most games. And I know when we spoke earlier, we've probably got maybe three players from the academy or regular starters now in the first team. So there's a real throughput of players coming from your academy going to play first team football. And of course, uh, is it Hague, I believe, gone to AC Milan? Four, three, four million euros, whatever it may be. What, what's the secret? What, what are the three key things would you say about your academy that's producing so many good young footballers? 
I'll try and put it to three. If I can. <laughs> try and keep it to three. <laughs> I think um, you have to have a very clear why, a purpose. And the purpose of the club is clear. We want to make North Norwegians proud. That's what the football club is all about. So it's invested in youth, it's invested in the infrastructure, and it's invested in, in, in engaging with people from the north of Norway. Um, so I think that that's the first thing. It, it's on the first, it's on the agenda at every single board meeting. We have a technical heart meeting uh, monthly where we sit down and we challenge these, the first team coaching staff about young players and opportunities for players to come in and, and this kind of stuff. We had uh, internal games here on Saturday. One of the young strikers born in 2003 has been doing really, really re well recently. So today we sat down with the first team coach, showed him a few clips that this is where he's at right now. One of our strikers is injured. Here's a great opportunity. So he'll now train with the first team from Wednesday onwards for the rest of the week. So my job is to get them on the grass. After that, they have to take care of themselves and we have to support yeah. them through that. So, so number one is, is, that, is that purpose and that why. Um, I'd say number two is have everybody pulling in the same direction. Um, I think if you look at some of the outlying academy successes in the UK, so if you think about uh, MK Dons, so MK Dons, seven, eight, nine years ago, maybe even more than that, it shows how old mm -hmm. I am now, had an unbelievable academy system when Dan Majiki yeah. was there as a coach yeah. and Carl Robinson mm -hmm. was the first team coach. Everybody pulling in the same direction. But you could probably, as an outsider, you looked at MK Dons' system, you go, that's pretty out there. You'd, the coaches wouldn't say a word. They wouldn't be allowed to say a word. They'd sit on the touchline, not really saying anything. You'd go there and play 11 aside, and sometimes you'd be playing 11 aside on a mini soccer pitch, like on a 9v9 pitch, because it was all about players creating things in small spaces. But if you look at that, you've got Delhi Alouette, Delhi Ali, Brendan Galloway. Um, I'm trying to think of the other players, Shea Ojo, um, yeah. uh, Bulldog. Five, four, five, six players from one generation because of the, them pulling in the same direction. If you go to the other end of the kind of the, the um, if you were to have a philosophy scale of kind of a laissez-faire to quite strict, you look at Charlton's academy. When you play Charlton in an academy game, you know they're going to try and beat you. It's all about the result, and they're quite unashamed about that. Uh, if you're going to change room after an under-11 game, all the set pieces stuff would be on the wall. But that's what works for them, and it's brilliant. And again, Joe Gomez, Aribo, Lookman, etc. All of those come through there. So you have to get the academy pulling in the same direction. Uh, if you have your under-13 coach who wants to do something different to your under-18 coach, the players get confused and then you lose players in the system. So, so uh, purpose, um, one direction, I'd probably say get training to a very, very high intensity and have a real desire to win in the training environment. So again, if I think back to boys born in 98 uh, when I was at Luton, um, they had a little bit of uh, media coverage because they went to Austria and won a trophy at 98, uh, born in 98, uh, under 11. And it's not about winning trophies with under 11, it's not. But what you had in that group was a couple of individuals who drove the intensity of training. As a coach, you didn't really have to do anything because you had Jamal Lewis and Jay De Silva both driving it. And then you had players like Frankie Masonda, who went on, uh, played uh, for Luton. You had uh, Yam Pham, who went on to play for Stevenage. You had James Justin, who's now at Leicester, sorry, Leicester and, uh, and England under 21s. And at least two more that I apologise to them if, if I've left their name. <laughs> but you had this culture where every single training session, it was like this and driven and driven and driven. So I think you've got to get that level of intensity within your training environment really, really high. Really interesting. Um, Greg, we've got a couple of, um, I noticed we've got a couple of agents on the webinar um, to, to, tonight. And I've, and I've got to ask you because, you know, in the academy system here, certainly after they turn 16 and, and, and they're into the formal uh, um, uh, scholarship process, the, you know, the agents are absolutely part of our game um, here. What's it like? What's it like in, 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 in Norway? Yeah, the, the agent system is well developed in Norway. Um, I think we used to laugh in Norwich that agents would never drive all the way to Norwich to watch a game. Yeah. Uh, but we go yeah. and play games in Oslo and there are there is an agent presence around, around that. So, yeah, it is part of the programme here and it's a necessary part of the programme because I think without agents, the chance for clubs to abuse their power is, is, is there. So I think the agents, agents pay up, play an important balancing act in the cycle of football. Yeah, I've never really thought about it that that, that way around, but that's um that, that that's a valid valid point. I mean, 
seeing how it is there versus you know your knowledge of what it is here and i'm sure you're still in touch with people here do you think we've got the balance a bit a bit wrong here or you know how do you do you see a better system there versus what it is here in terms of the involvement of agents i think the, the one of the difficulties is the system that agents are working in within the uk because the, the gold rush for players the big scramble for players in the english academy system is at seven and eight to get them onto that first piece of paper in your academy mm. uh, i've heard of stories i don't know whether they're true or whether they've become exaggerated in time of of uh, parents sitting down at church in south london in baptist church and all of a sudden someone slides up the pew next to them and <laughs> smart in a suit and has a conversation and sings the hymns and they talk and share a coffee after church and they say well what do you do and he goes oh i'm a football agent they think oh well, that's funny my son's training with crystal palace and whoever under eight at the moment like oh is he really i didn't know that so, so the system though allows that to happen because of the yeah. design of the system so um i think as with anything in life people always will always find loopholes uh, to exploit Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we're drawing to the close, but I'm really keen uh, just to bring um, uh, Teddy in. Um, hopefully he won't mind. Um, so, uh, uh, Teddy, are you there? Good evening, Teddy. Yeah, I'm still here. Hi, Hi Teddy. How, Hi there. How are I you? Just... So, for, for, for those guys listening, Teddy is the Chief Executive of the Norwegian coaches association and it's great to have you listening in tonight teddy but i you know i did, I did want to ask you um you know i mean an amazing amazing story um at buddha glimpse but not only the first team obviously the work that greg is doing to get young players into the first team that have then gone on to have such success you know what's the rest of norway feeling and thinking about about that club at the moment I think it's a it's a wonderful story, and it's it's a little bit like the Leicester story of your country, huh? yeah. Where uh, Bordeglund has been in the league, you know, on the top level of the game for nearly thirty years, but they were never portrayed as a potential winner of the league, even though they won a couple of cup trophies. So the way they did it, I mean, playing entertaining football. Homegrown players, uh, never conceding a lot of goals. I mean, it was just a fairy tale story. And obviously, being from the north of Norway, above the Arctic Circle, it made headlines even all the way to New York. You know, it was a fairy tale story, the kind of story you want to see, you know, in the, in the football, which you told uh, in the introduction, you know. We had a bit of a setback now with the Super League and everything. That was the story we want to see. A little bit like the Östersund, the Leicester story, all that that really engaged fans all over the world to be to love this game. And does um, as as what has happened at Border has that has that changed what other clubs have done or in terms of their strategies for not only the first team but. But the development teams as as, as well. Have you, have you have you seen the knock on effects to other clubs? I mean, I mean, even the big club in Norway, you know, like Rosenborg, they are a bit they envy a little bit the body glimpse <laughs> they're talking about. I mean, look at this club. They used to come to us to learn, you know. Now we have to go back and learn back of them again because they play the kind of football we want to play, and they are actually winning. So I think that says a lot about this, but. My feeling is that a lot of clubs now are trying to learn of Bordelimt. And obviously, like uh, like being told, the academy classification system that now has been implemented into a lot of clubs is based on actually the work of people like Evan Everson, he was mentioned by Craig, you know, that used to have many years at Bordelimt. He's now returning to be the district attorney or whatever you would call for the district up there, the district okay. FA. And yeah. That's going to benefit Bordeaux-Glimt even more because now they have demand placed among all the other clubs in the area. So Bordeaux-Glimt has been a great inspiration to all of us. And I think it's been very interesting tonight, you know, because as when I promoted the event this evening, I said, it's great to see an English, I mean, how does you do the work in a Norwegian club look through an Englishman's eyes and experience? 
And I, I find this evening very stimulating. So thank you, my guys. Okay. Oh no, very, very, very good. And I've just got to, I just got to hold you to one more point, Teddy. So Greg saying that we're going to see this wave of, uh, of new Norwegian talent. Do you, do you share his, do you share his optimi- optimism? I know you're desperate personally <laughs> to get back to a big tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, we'd love to compete on the on the big stage, and obviously, the progress of Erling Bertolan and Martin Odegaard has been a very great inspiration for all of us. So. I think uh, Greg is right. There's a lot of good work now coming out of Norway. If we can get more players abroad playing in bigger leagues, bigger teams, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the future. I think we will qualify very soon for a major tournament. Fantastic. Thank you, Teddy. Thanks, thanks Teddy. For, for your help. And thank, thanks thanks to you guys. Good work tonight. Thank you. Hope to see you soon. See yeah, soon, see you soon at the cup final seminar oh, in November. That would be great. <laughs> Thank okay, you, Teddy. thanks, Teddy. Um, Greg, you know, before we um, for wrap up, so any you know budding coaches, you know, what would be the advice that you'd give them? I know we've spoke about different opportunities they may take, but you know, what are the key things for them really to take uh, from your journey and, and how you start? Yeah, I think two things really. Um, it, it's about time on the grass. So I mentioned I, I, I was working with my local grassroots club uh, for many years. And then I think the other thing that I was able to do is I was able to go and coach in America. Started off during the summers, but then had a couple of full years out there and just hours on the grass. You were coaching for six hours a day, sometimes a hundred degree heat. And you had to be thinking on your feet and you had to have a list of uh, practices up your sleeve. You had to be able to communicate with kids at all levels. So just that hours, the hours in the trenches. Yeah. And I think the second thing is just be prepared to, to, to volunteer or do whatever it's needed to do to get your foot in the door. Um, I, I was listening to a podcast uh, today with Stuart Weber, who's the sporting director at Norwich. Yeah. And I, I didn't realize this, but, but he was the groundsman at Wrexham and was volunteering to coach in their center of excellence. And that's how he got his foot, foot in the door. He'd done a hort- horticultural studies. To do whatever you need to do to get your foot in the door. Don't expect to go and become the under-18 coach at Manchester United in your first job. It's not going to happen. Um, so, be, well, unless you've had a very, very good career as a Premier League football, it's not going to happen. So yeah. be prepared to do the work in the trenches. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, Greg, listen, it's been absolutely fascinating uh, to hear from you um, this this evening. We've watched from afar as 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 brought a glimpse of, of, like I say, you didn't just win the league. Um, you, you know, you won the league in an incredible fashion. But most importantly, with your players as well. You know, I think we were speaking just before. I think you said like thirty five percent of the minutes were from academy players. You know, absolutely unbelievable. So. You've absolutely done, you know, you've ticked that box of what your purpose is. I can only imagine that, you know, the people in your region are immensely proud of the work that that you um, uh, and your staff are doing. So congratulations um, for that again. Um, and thank you so much for coming on this evening. And Spencer, I think I've figured out the reason for the Super League. You know, oh, no, I think... No. I would avoid in the Super League. No, no, but I think I've figured it out and it's all it's all clicked into place now. Of course, border qualifying for the Champions League next season. Who's going to stop them? There's nervousness at the top of the Absolutely. game. Absolutely. You know, yeah, they've they cracked don't, it. They don't want border anywhere near the Champions League moving forward. I, and I think that's the only sensible conclusion <laughs> to why any of this um, would would happen. Well, I'm um, certainly certainly looking forward to watching them play uh, in the Champions League, and uh, I'm sure they'll be a massive success. Um, before we go, um, uh, we're um, we've had another fantastic guest uh, tonight, um, but we are uh, ready to prepare for another one um, uh, next month, where we'll be joined by Boris Kubler, um, who is the head of coach education for the Croatian FA, and again. You know, Croatia, relatively small population, producing absolutely world-class Spencer, uh, world-class players, Spencer. Yeah, uh, they certainly are. And, uh, you know, like Greg, it's going to be another fantastic guest and uh, give an insight to, you know, Croatia, uh, how they develop the coaches and how they develop the players as well. And uh, I'm keen to hear about this uh, Zagreb 104-point plan that, uh, that I keep seeing here and there and uh, find out a bit more about that. Uh, but Boris will be, be another excellent guest. So I'm looking forward to that. And my 
thanks to you, Greg. Uh, really enjoyed it. Love the, the video earlier. Thank, thankfully, it worked for us all, uh, yeah. which was great and uh, a great insight. I have I have put the Eventbrite link in the chat box uh, for the next coach's corner. So um, please give that a click um, and, and log on and register for that one. Thank you for everybody uh, for tuning in uh, this evening as well um, and, and listening to us. And, and Greg, we really, really appreciate um, your time. Greg, a final word from yourself. Thank you for coming on uh, tonight. Um, you want to say a few words just quickly before you go? Oh, just thanks so much for having me and thanks for engaging and for those coaches who've attended who I know from England I've seen a lot of names on the list and good to, good to see your names and good to be catching up with you when hopefully borders open up in a few months time and we're able to to visit each other in the future fantastic thank you so much thank you Spencer thank you Ryan always a pleasure absolutely no problem um, and we'll bid everybody good evening and hope everybody uh, looks after themselves this week thank you very much thank you bye-bye